Well, last week we looked at our church vision, uh, a church through which God is transforming his people and his world. And we saw that God is at work raising spiritually dead people to life and then uniting all the diverse groups of people into one new humanity, all under the headship of Jesus. And our vision is that we get to partner with God as he does that. That was last week. This week we're going to get specific. We think about how we will do that. What tasks will we do? What will we choose not to do? What will our strategy be? Uh, thankfully, God doesn't leave us to work all of those details out for ourselves. He, he actually tells us. After Jesus' resurrection, before he returned to heaven, he said to his disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, verse 19. Sometimes it's called the Great Commission. Uh, in other words, you guys are disciples. You are followers of me. Now, go and make more. And that's been the mission or the key job of every church since that time. Uh, to invite people who aren't followers of Jesus to become followers. And to encourage those who are followers to become closer followers. Now, if that task is not central in what a church is doing, they're being disobedient to Jesus. At our church, we express it this way. Our mission is growing followers of Jesus. It describes what we do. We grow people to be followers of Jesus, growing as a verb. If they're not yet followers, we introduce them to who Jesus is and how they can follow him. If they are followers, we grow them. We teach and encourage and shape and challenge. But it also describes who we are. We are followers of Jesus who are growing. Growing as an adjective, a describing word. We are growing. We're not content to be who we are today. We're not content to stay the same. If God is at work in us, we will be changing and growing into the likeness of Jesus, slowly but surely. Before we think about that, what it looks like specifically for us at Ashfield, though, I want us to spend a few moments in Matthew 28 and look at the context for Jesus' command to his disciples to go and make more disciples. So have a look at it with me. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 1. It's the morning of that first Easter Sunday. The two Marys go to see the tomb. It's the first of several references in this chapter to seeing. Now, verse 2 tells us that at some point there was a violent earthquake. We're not told exactly when. Uh, now, the earthquake is not the cause of the tomb opening. More like, it's more like an announcement. It's more like a drum roll, a trumpet fanfare that proclaims the most important event the world has ever seen. Nothing has shaped world history like the resurrection of Jesus. Everything changed. Nothing will ever be the same again. The angel rolls back the stone in front of the tomb and sits on it and waits to see who will notice. Verse 4, we're told the tomb guards who were alive become like dead men. Which is ironic, isn't it? Because what's happened is that the man who was dead has come alive. Uh, the women arrive and the angel says to them, adding his announcement, 
to the announcement of the earthquake. Verse 5, the angel says, Don't be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. He promised it and it happened. Come and see, investigate. As unlikely as it seems, a man has come back from the dead. God doesn't expect us to believe that without evidence. We are encouraged to do our research. We are encouraged to base our confidence on reasonable evidence. Come and see, the angel says. But don't just come and see. Verse 7 says, go and tell. Go and tell his disciples to meet him in Galilee and they will see him there. Verse 8, the women do as they're told, except for that command not to fear. They hurry away afraid, yet filled with joy. And then verse 9, on the way, Jesus himself meets them and he says, g'day. I had a look. In the Greek, it basically just means good. G'day. It's as simple as you like. There's no, behold, it is I. There's none of that. It's just, hi. The women stumble forward. They fall down at his feet and they worship him. Joy mixed with fear, mixed with adoration. Can you imagine it? In verse 10, Jesus repeats the angel's words. Don't be afraid. Go and tell his disciples, tell the disciples to go to Galilee. They'll see me there. Now that's what happens. Let's jump down to verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. The women were told to go and tell. They did. The disciples were told to go and see. And they did. And once again, there's this confusing mix of emotions. For the women, it was joy mixed with fear, mixed with adoration. For the disciples, there's worship, but also some doubted. Now, that's perfectly understandable, isn't it? It's what you'd actually expect of people who've received the shock of their lives, who've received the most wonderful, unexpected news. It it seems too good to be true. bears the marks of something, of the way it really happened, doesn't it, that some doubt it? This is not history that's been airbrushed, touched up, uh, made to make the early church leaders look good. This is the way it happened. And so we come to Jesus' great commission. Uh, We can see it in three parts, the basis, the command and the promise. So firstly the basis, verse 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. God has raised Jesus to life and crowned him Lord of all. Over creation, over death and life, over heaven as well as over earth. He's even been crowned over Satan who himself had offered to give Jesus all authority. Back when he tempted him in the desert. And now Jesus has the authority over him. This is the Jesus who commands the disciples. This is the Jesus who commands us. We are not following a philosophy. We don't follow a set of teachings. We don't revere a dead prophet or a moral example. We serve, obey and submit to the living, ruling, 
monarch over everything. It's on that basis that Jesus issues his command. Therefore, verse 19, because I have authority over everything, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Because I am Lord of it all, go and announce to all that I am their Lord. God has declared it to be so, now go and make it real in human experience. You are disciples, you are followers of me, now go and make some more. More learners, more followers. You are just the beginning. You are the mustard seed that's going to grow into a large tree. And don't wait for them to come to you, go to them. Just like I told the women to go and tell, you are to go and tell. Go to all nations, because Jesus has all authority everywhere. Go to different locations. Go to different cultures and races and languages. Go outside your comfort zones and your areas of expertise. Meet them where they are at. Adjust your message so they will understand it, translate it, contextualise it. Be all things to all people. Stretch your faith, push your limits, extend the boundaries of my kingdom, says Jesus. And he continues in verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He breaks up the disciple-making into a couple of steps. Firstly, baptise them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptising is the beginning. It's the initiation, the admission into membership. Baptism is immersing someone into the kingdom of God. It's attaching them to the name of Jesus belonging to him. Baptism is being joined in relationship to the Trinitarian God. Somehow, there's one name, but three distinct persons. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Sounds like three names to me. But the Trinity is so clear here, isn't it? Matthew just records it. But it would take the church a couple of hundred years to be able to clarify what Jesus just described so simply here. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then when you've baptised disciples, teach them. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Can you just imagine the disciples at that point thinking, that's a lot. That's three years worth of lessons I need to be passing on. Perhaps this was the motivation for Matthew to start writing down the things that he'd remembered so he wouldn't forget, so he would be able to teach the disciples everything Jesus had taught him. Uh, Stories that would eventually become Matthew's Gospel. Interestingly, a Gospel that focuses on Jesus' teaching, on his sermons and parables. So that's the task. That's the mission Jesus gives the disciples. Go and make disciples, baptising and teaching. Well, it sounds 
huge. It sounds terrifying, especially when Jesus uh, is returning to his Father. But he leaves them with a promise. Not just a basis, not just a command, but a promise as well. Verse 20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You've been baptised into the name of the Holy Spirit, my Spirit. My Spirit will remind you of everything that I've taught you. My Spirit will guide you and equip you and give you courage and strength. What a promise. My Spirit will give your words power to be effective, to change the hearts of the people you're speaking to. And the disciples took up the challenge. They went and they made disciples. And the gospel spread, slowly but surely. It spread across deserts and oceans and mountain ranges. It crossed language barriers and cultural barriers. It passed down through generations. It's even reached Australia. And the task is still the same. Our task is still the same task as those disciples. All the nations have come to us. All the nations have come to Ashfield. We're to go and make disciples. We're to baptise and teach them. Because Jesus has all authority. And because he'll be with us always. So, what about us here at Ashfield? What does our task look like? If we want to grow followers of Jesus, we need to clarify what a growing follower looks like. If we want to make one of those, what are are they going to look like? What's the description of a mature disciple? Well, as we've thought about that this year, we've come up with five areas. And perhaps you've seen these. I'm hoping they're starting to look a little familiar. Uh, Communicating new things. Apparently you say it till you're sick of saying it. And then you say it another few times and then perhaps people might get it. So I'm going to keep saying it. (laughs) What does a growing follower of Jesus look like? Well, firstly, a disciple of Jesus must love God. As Jesus describes love for God, he describes total commitment. Uh, We're to love him with all our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength. And so we want to develop people here in our church who are prayerful, satisfied in God, who are joyful and grateful to God, who are committed to him, who are focused on him through his son Jesus. That's what it means to love God. Uh, Secondly, we want to develop people who love others as they love themselves. Uh, People who are genuine, generous, inclusive, accepting, forbearing, forgiving. That's what a growing follower looks like. The third outcome area we want to focus on is people who are being shaped by God's word. We didn't just say people who read it. We didn't just say people who study it or who know it. We want people who are being shaped by God's word. People who are expectant and attentive as they come to the Bible. And so as a result, they will be people who are resilient and stable and steadfast who are not blown here and there by every wind of false teaching or every new idea that comes along because they know what God's word says. 
People who are being thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. That's someone who's being shaped by God's word. That's a growing follower. Uh, the fourth area, outcome area, is disciples who are serving. I think when we serve one another, it's really an expression of our love for each other. And so as a church, as leaders in this church, we want to encourage and help people to grow and develop as disciples so that you will use what God's given you to encourage that to happen in other people. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has actually created us for good works. He's even prepared those good works in advance for us to do. So as a church leadership, we want to organise and recruit and equip and release and train and support people to do those things. So they can use their gifts to to generously and cheerfully and faithfully grow mature disciples in a range of different ways. Uh, The fifth outcome area for a growing follower is that he or she is on mission. Now on mission, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to become an overseas missionary. It might. For most of us, it won't. Uh, To be on mission, though, means that wherever God has put you, to be intentionally and courageously looking to share Jesus with the people that you meet. That's what it means to be on mission, in both word and action. Doing it in natural, consistent, respectful ways. That's what we're aiming for in a growing follower of Jesus. Now that's the target, that's the goal, those five areas. To to put it coarsely, that's the product But how do you produce that? Well, obviously, we don't produce it. God is the one that produces it. But how can we put conditions in place that will encourage God to be growing that sort of disciple? How can we work with God to grow that sort of disciple? Well, that's where the idea of a discipleship pathway comes in. It's a series of steps that someone moves along from being a non-Christian who knows nothing about God or about church. Step by step, they find out more, they become Christians, they grow in their faith, they begin serving and sharing their faith. Now, experts tell us that every church, every church has a pathway. For lots of churches, that pathway is accidental and are disorganised and unintentional. And what happens is that people get missed. People drop out. People come through the front door and then leave through the back door and we don't notice. It's too easy for people to drop out, to be lost, to not be given an opportunity to to grow and develop and move on to the next step. And and so we want to be organised. We want to love people and we love people by being clear about what our pathway is and where we want people to move. We want to communicate that clearly so so everyone knows that if a new person walks in, all of us will have some idea about where we want that person to be growing and moving to. So, for example, someone connects with us in some way. Maybe they find our website or they come to a movie night or they they wander into church. Our first step, down the bottom, bottom left, is to introduce them to Jesus so that they become a disciple. Uh, We want them to love God. 
Now, if they are already a Christian, then we want them coming to church. It's a great place to encourage that love for God, to to express that love for God. If they're not yet a Christian, we want them to find out how to become a Christian at a Christianity Explored course. Uh, We'll be running those a few times each year. Church is a great place for them to keep learning how to love God and expressing that love in song and prayer. Step two uh, is to connect them into our shared life, expose them to the love of Christian brothers and sisters. Morning tea, supper, a meal in your home, uh, introducing them to some other people so they can begin to experience the love of others and also to show love for others. Uh, Step three is that they be shaped by God's word. Now, that certainly happens in our Sunday gatherings, uh, but in terms of our pathway, we want people to join a small group, a home group, we call them, studying the Bible in a small group where you can ask questions, where you can hear explanations in detail, where you can pray for one another, where you can hold each other accountable. Uh, Small groups are a great place to be shaped by God's word together. Once people have been a Christian for a while, we want them to, uh, to be contributing. Uh, we want them to help other people to grow. So step four is serving. We want to help everyone find at least one place where they can use their energy and their enthusiasm and their gifts to help others grow as disciples. Uh, the fifth step there, the, the yellow or the orange or the gold, whatever it is, gold, uh, that fifth step there is mission. As we learn, as you grow more in confidence and maturity, you become better equipped to share your faith. You become, uh, you have more experience of how God has worked in your life. You have more knowledge to share. Now, I acknowledge, a few people have pointed this out, it's simplistic to to put mission at the end uh, because, of course, all Christians should be looking to share Jesus, not just the mature ones who achieve a certain level, In fact, often it's the new Christians who are at the start of their journey uh, who are the most enthusiastic. And just because you know a lot or have been a Christian for a long time, it doesn't mean you're particularly good at sharing your faith. I think it's also simplistic to put mission at the end because it suggests that you've arrived and you can stop the other four and just focus on mission. Well, that's not the case either. Being a mature disciple is always about working on all of those five areas. And so that's what we're trying to show with the circle rather than a straight line that goes from A to E. The Christian life just keeps going around rather than comes to a finish or a goal. So that's the pathway. It's clear, it's simple. But of course, you know, organisation is clear but people are not clear or simple (laughs) And people don't always fit this nice, neat um, theory. Sometimes we have people who are in home groups and who are well-connected even before they're Christians. Or sometimes we have people who are serving in ministry, but they're not in a home group. You know, and that's okay, because people are different. But I still think it's helpful to have that, that basic outline about where we want to be moving people. Uh, something that everyone is aware of. So each of us know how to help people move uh, along a next step. So may God use that to move lots of people so that they become mature disciples. 
Next week, we're going to zoom in on uh, ministry teams, uh, how you can help people to move around this pathway by being on a team that takes responsibility for part of that pathway. That's what we'll be looking at next week. But for now, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for uh, appointing Jesus to have all authority. Uh, That gives us confidence. You did that for the sake of the church. Uh, We pray that as we work with you to make disciples, that you, through your spirit, would strengthen us, give us courage, guide us. Uh, We pray as uh, our church uh, moves to, to tweak things and to change a few things that uh, you would be with us, that you would uh, give fruit for our endeavours, that you would uh, unite us around you and your word and your people and that you would build us uh, into a church which loves you and which is growing in our discipleship and in following you. Uh, We pray that you would use us to bring many people into your kingdom and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.